episode of the Nick Ma Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. Pella has a window type for every home and every budget. You might know Pella for its award-winning wood windows, but did you know that Pella also has a complete line of industry-leading patented fiberglass and vinyl windows? Pella's fiberglass windows uses a patented Duracast material, more durable than aluminum or vinyl, made from a composite material used in the aerospace industry for its strength, durability, and temperature resistance. With that cold weather bearing down, sounds like something you should look into. For more information, check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my friends at Runza. You know, in basketball, it's all about killer combos, pick and roll, give and go. Fred Hoiberg and a roster full of versatile three-point shooters. Combos make life better. And Runza makes it all better, including the classic combo, chili and cinnamon rolls. The best sweet and spicy combo to hit the Midwest since Adrian Martinez and Wandell Robinson. Here's what you do. Alley-oop that cinnamon roll with your left hand to your right hand, dunk it in the homemade chili, and there's nowhere that does it like Runza. So get there today. Get your chili and cinnamon roll game right and tell them your friend Nick Baugh sent you. Okay, it is Wednesday night, November 4th, and certainly anxiety is high in America right now with the election. So you know what? I'm going to hopefully give all of you just an escape for a bit. I got three topics to dive into. Real juicy stuff here. I've written like 12 pages of notes here, so this is going to be good. I I got two Husker football topics for you. And then I'll give you kind of my thoughts and and really some concerns with college basketball's plan for how they are structuring the season because we're just a few weeks away from from college hoops tipping off. So I certainly got a lot of thoughts with that. So three topics. Sit back, relax, here we go. Let's start with Husker football. So I've always thought one of the interesting elements of sports from the from the outside looking in is it's easy to forget that the players are actual human beings. And I know that sounds weird to say, but we sometimes lose sight of that. We, we being fans in media, sometimes just think of a player as a name and a position and what they produce. We kind of render them down to that. We minimize them down to that. And it's especially bad in football because the players wear a helmet, so the disconnect of the human being heightens. Like, we just think of Adrian as Martinez, quarterback, number two. But he's a real person who moved halfway across the country at age 18 from California to Nebraska. Pretty big culture shift. He's a guy that's endured four Pretty serious injuries in the past, oh gosh, three to four years of his football life. Oh, and by the way, his mom passed away when he was just 10 years old. He's dealt with the hype machine and and Heisman odds going just crazy. And listen, since he's the quarterback at Nebraska, that makes him one of the most, one of the 10 most famous people in the state right now. Like, that's just how it is. Whoever the quarterback of, of Nebraska is, it's like instantly one of the 10 biggest celebrities in the state of Nebraska. That's a lot for a human being to deal with. But it's easy to forget about the human element with all of these players. And you may be saying to yourself right now, Nick, what's your point? My point isn't to evoke sympathy for Martinez. 
but to point out how media and fans forget that these players are actual human beings. You almost got to remind yourself sometimes. Like, they're actual human beings who have feelings and worries and fears and issues and problems and all that. So that's the, the first thing I want to drive home in my larger point. The second thing is this. You, you have to realize that football or basketball or whatever sport, that is the foundation to a lot of these kids' lives. It's their foundation. It's their identity. It is. I know it was for me back when I was a, a basketball player. I mean, ba- basketball was the foundation of my life. Basketball was my identity. Everything I did, everything I thought about, every decision I made was made with basketball at the center of it all. And that's how football is for almost all these guys on Nebraska's roster. Football is who they are. It's what they do. And it's why they are at Nebraska. I mean, let's be honest. You remove football from the equation, Wondell Robinson isn't in Lincoln. Cam Taylor Britt isn't in Lincoln. Luke McCaffrey isn't in Lincoln. Football is the foundation of these guys' lives. And when you remove it or it becomes unstable, everything starts to potentially fall apart. So with that said, take a step back and stop and think about what the past seven or eight months have been like for these Husker football players. Remembering that they are human beings and also remembering that football is the foundation of their lives. So you have a global pandemic hit which shuts down spring practice so they get football taken away from them. Because of that, a lot of them have to go home for a few months. And for some players, that's a bad deal for a variety of reasons. They then come back to Lincoln in the summer, and they keep working, they keep grinding, hoping to play a football season. Then here comes fall camp. And a few days into fall camp, the Big Ten cancels the season. So they have to sit and watch all these other leagues play for a few weeks. All the while, they are continuing to work out and, and, and lift weights and practice without any guarantee that they will play football anytime soon. Oh, and by the way, during all of this time, the players have to continue to make good social decisions to avoid the virus while in the social party time of their lives, which is college, and while I'm sure a bunch of their non-athlete friends are probably out partying. And, and hanging out. And during this stretch, the players are hoping and wondering and praying that the Big Ten might change their minds and reinstate the season. And their prayers were answered. They did. Big Ten football is coming back. Okay. So they ramp it all back up with fall camp and grind and sweat and bleed and work to get ready to play football. They then kick the season off. They play one game. And in that one game, by the way, they got to play one of the two or three best teams in the country in Ohio State. And they get popped pretty good. They play one game, and then their second game gets canceled. (sighs) 
I mean, that's a lot to deal with, guys. It's it's It was a lot for us to deal with. And we aren't even players. We're just fans and media members and podcast hosts. I mean, we're going through it. This is a ton to deal with as human beings for those players. When football is your foundation and football is why you are at a particular place, that's really, really, really hard. So I say all that to say this. You know what goes a long ways during all of what I just laid out? Having your leader fight for you at every single bump in the road. We all see Scott Frost's press conference back in August where he laid out why he thinks there should be a football season. We we, we all saw that. But what he did was fight for his players. And you know, even recently, after the Wisconsin game gets canceled, we see Scott Frost go to great lengths and make a bunch of things happen to try to schedule a non-conference game with Chattanooga. That is fighting for your players. And during that fight for his players, he got crushed and ripped and ridiculed by a lot of media people like Pat Forty and Desmond Howard and Michael Wilbon and Paul Feinbaum and Dan Wolken and on and on and on. But sometimes great leaders are willing to stand up and take some bullets and take some heat to prove something to those that they are leading. Frost showing he'll fight for his players matters. Trust me, it matters to the players. Knowing what they've gone through and all the emotions and turmoil they've dealt with, it matters to see your leader fight for you. Especially when you probably feel so helpless. I really believe that. Little gestures of your leader fighting for you can make an impact because think about it. Think about it. If your leader stops fighting for you, it makes it easier for you to stop fighting too. It makes it easier for you to give up and quit making good social decisions and lose the fire and pride in the day-to-day work at practice. And maybe, maybe even just pack it up and go home. All those things get a lot more tempting if your leader stops fighting for you. So yeah, Scott Frost and Nebraska's leaders have taken some heat and gotten ripped by a lot of people with some of the things they fought for. They fought for football to not get canceled initially back in August. They fought to play a non-conference game after the Wisconsin game got canceled. But what they were really fighting for were the players. In a time where a locker room full of 150 human beings are being tested mentally and emotionally, your leader continuing to fight for you means the world. It really, really does. Just something to think about when digesting the past few months. All right, topic number two. You know how there, there's a saying that you know, life is about timing, right? You hear that sometimes. You know, life's about timing, which is true. But you know another way of saying that? Life is about taking advantage 
of an opportunity. In sports, one thing I've learned is the window of opportunity doesn't open much. And when it does open, it doesn't stay open for long or as long as you think it will be. So when that window is open, boy, you better smash through that thing. Let me give you two examples. One about me and one about Creighton. And don't worry, people. I'm going to tie this all back to Nebraska football. So my my freshman year at Kansas, throughout the first half of the season, we hadn't ever really settled in on a backup point guard for our stud point guard, Aaron Miles. We just hadn't settled in with anyone there. And I was one of the guys that could potentially fill that spot, fill that role. But I wasn't playing. I was playing well in practice, but I wasn't getting minutes in the game. So here comes the Nebraska game in Lincoln at the Devaney Sports Center. And Nebraska with Jake Muleheisen and John Turek and Andrew Drevo, they are beating us pretty good. So in the middle of the second half, Coach Self calls my name and puts me in to see if I can provide a spark. And I did. First time I touched the ball, corner three, whap. Next possession, Keith Lankford penetrate, kicks it to me, three ball, whap. And I almost sparked a big rally and comeback for us, but Nebraska held on and won. But what really happened in that game was the window of opportunity was now open for me. I'm now the backup point guard. Me, Nick Baugh, Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm at Kansas. I'm the backup point guard. It, it's This is it, man, right? It's up to me to totally seize this moment, run with it, never look back. This is everything I've ever wanted. So next game, we play Baylor at home. I play. I'm solid. I'm fine. But I got a great look at a three right at the top of the key. Missed it. I played okay, but damn, I missed that three. Game after that. Overtime thrilling win against Iowa State. It was a Saturday afternoon game. Allen Fieldhouse was rocking. I play. I'm solid. I have a block in transition against Curtis Stinson. I had an assist, but I got another great wide open look from three that would have capped off a big run. Missed it. And players know sometimes you just got you got to see the ball go in just one time for you to really settle in. Missed it. Next game at Texas, ESPN, Big Monday. Dickie V is on the call. I play again, and I'm sort of shaky. Royale Ivy, you don't know him, Google him. He was a two-time Big 12 all-defensive team, 6'4", long. Man, he heated my ass up. Picked me up full court. I was a little shaky with the rock. I didn't play great, and we lost to Texas on Big Monday. Well, guess what? Next game against Oklahoma, I lost my minutes. I didn't play. And the reality is I never really got a real opportunity like that for a stretch of games at KU again. That was it. The window of opportunity was there. It was open. I had to seize the moment 
and I just couldn't quite make it happen. It still, it still pisses me off to this day. Those stretches of games, those missed threes. And I remember after the season thinking, okay, keep working, man. You're a freshman. There's going to be another shot. And you know what? Unfortunately, there never really was again. Moral of the story, when opportunity knocks, you better grab it because real opportunities don't come along as often as you think. Next example, this one's even better. If Greg McDermott's listening to this, he probably needs to turn it off or you know get a glass of vodka because this one's tough. 2018 Creighton Blue Jays. They had an incredible opportunity opportunity presented to them on a platter and missed it. So in the NCAA tournament, Creighton's an eight seed. Their first round matchup in Charlotte is against Kansas State. Kansas State doesn't have their best player, Dean Wade. He is out with an injury. Okay, wow. I mean, really? First round matchup playing a team that's not great and they don't have their best player? Okay, big opportunity. Creighton played maybe as bad as I've seen them play all that season. They were awful. It was Marcus Foster, Kyrie Thomas, Davion Mintz, and Mitch Ballack, and and uh, and Tyson Alexander were freshmen. Toby Hagner was on the team. They were they played really bad. K State grinded them out, and beat them. Let's take a quick break to talk to you guys about my good friends at Runza. Got another super secret menu item that uh, when I when I revealed this super secret menu item uh, about a month or so ago, let's just say everybody's minds were blown. Everybody's minds were blown. Here's the deal. Did you know at Runza, you can get anything on a Runza sandwich? Think about that. Yeah, you, you don't have to rewind it. In this, anything on a Runza sandwich. Like, I, I love a cheese Runza, but if I want to, I could throw pickles in there. I could throw a little mustard in there. I could throw some French fries in there. Anything within reason that's in the kitchen, you can ask for, and they'll add it in the Runza sandwich. How about that? Because every single Runza is made to order. They all start as an original with no toppings. Then they add toppings when you order, and boom, you got a custom Runza. You can't beat that. How about that? I'm sure your mind is blown. That's today's super secret menu item. I had to, had to revive this and tell you about it for my friends at Runza. The build your own Runza. Get into Runza today. Get one that's just for you, and tell them your pal Nick Baugh sent you. And while we're here, let's talk about Pella windows and doors. I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. Let's uh, let's pull up uh, let's pull up Pella's website right now. Look at this. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. Five different types of windows or doors by Pella have won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. I mean, that's some that's that's incredible. And they achieve that in a couple of ways. You have the insulated glass which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. You have types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. You have triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all that, within all that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for windows and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Back to the podcast. And guess what happens the very next game after that Creighton loss? The 16-seed UMBC completes the historic, monumental upset of the one-seed Virginia Cavaliers. Oh, 
So all Creighton had to do was beat Kansas State, who didn't have their best player, and then beat a 16-seed UMBC, and they finally punched through to the Sweet 16. Oh. But instead, they're packing their bags and going home. And and to make it even worse, guess what team they would have played to potentially go to the Final Four the next weekend? 11-seeded Loyola Chicago. So Creighton squandered an opportunity to not just punch through and go to the Sweet 16, but hell, maybe even the Final Four because their road would have included Kansas State without their best player, 16-seeded UMBC, Five-seed Kentucky, who wasn't great. That wasn't a great Kentucky team. And then 11-seeded Missouri Valley Conference member Loyola Chicago in the Elite Eight. Oh, brutal. Opportunity knocked, and Creighton missed it. And you know what? The Blue Jays are still searching for that first Sweet 16 run. Which brings me to Nebraska football. Stop and think about what is in front of them right now and what are, and what's around them right now. For, I mean, first of all, we're in a pandemic, and, and football's had some screwy, crazy, weird things happen. But most importantly, Iowa's 0-2. Minnesota's 0-2. Wisconsin is having a COVID outbreak and now has had to cancel two straight games. If they miss one more game, they aren't eligible to play for a Big Ten title. Penn State is 0-2. So that game doesn't look quite as daunting. I mean, you couldn't dream up more of an open window than that, right? Now, I expect I expect Iowa to, to get it together and make a little bit of a run, and Minnesota might wake up, and listen, that Penn State game is not going to be a cakewalk. And who knows what will end up happening with Wisconsin. But let's be real. If someone would have told you, hey, through the first two weeks of the season, between Iowa and Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Penn State, they'd have a combined one win, you would have fallen over. But that's what's happened. So the roadblocks for Nebraska in the moment are Northwestern, who's 2-0. But if you think about it, Nebraska has really played Northwestern well under Scott Frost, beat Northwestern last year, and had to have an all-time collapse, pee-your-pants second half to lose to... Northwestern on the road two years ago. And then Purdue, who's also 2-0, but Rondell Moore is yet to play, and it kind of feels like he might not be too eager to get back onto the field and play. And listen, Purdue looks good, but certainly not great. I mean, guys, is it feeling drafty right now? Because the window of opportunity is kind of open. Now, to be fair, Nebraska is still Nebraska. They are flawed. They aren't great either. But you, you tell me, get out Nebraska's schedule and just look at it. When you look at the rest of Nebraska's schedule, who do you look at and just think, nope, no way Nebraska can win that game. They got no prayer in that game. I don't really see one. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that Nebraska's, you know, Clemson or anything, but I don't, I don't, I mean, Illinois, Purdue, Minnesota, I don't see one. Even this week at Northwestern, the spread's like, what, three or four? All I'm saying is you got an opportunity casserole here. It's a screwy year with the pandemic. All the usual top dogs that you thought were either great on paper or going to really stand in your way in the standings or either struggling 
or haven't won a game. Wisconsin's having a massive COVID outbreak. Iowa 0-2. Minnesota 0-2. Penn State 0-2. And I thought Nebraska showed some signs in that Ohio State game that if they just kind of cleaned up some of the self-inflicted things, I don't know, man. Things could get interesting for the Big Red. That's all I'm saying. Windows of opportunity in sports don't open as much as you think, and when they do, you better take advantage. And I kind of feel like there's a window here for Nebraska. We'll see if they take advantage. All right, uh, last topic. So anyone that knows me knows that college basketball is my favorite sport. So let me start with saying that I am beyond excited for college basketball to start. I can't wait. But with all that said, I am a little nervous about what this season is going to look like. I mean, it's crazy to think that we are under three weeks away from the season starting. Under three weeks away. And college basketball and its scheduling and its structure, it's still kind of a mess. I mean, just a few weeks ago, a whole bunch of MTEs, which, by the way, stands for multiple team events, a whole bunch of MTEs in Orlando put on by ESPN got canceled due to inconsistencies in testing protocols. It was canceled all. Just this week, Oklahoma State, who was set to play in Nebraska's MTE, appears to have pulled out and will now play at UT Arlington to start the season. They're not even going to play it in the Nebraska MTV, MTE. We still really hadn't haven't heard anything from the Big Ten regarding their non-conference schedule and what they are and are not signing off on. I mean, a few days ago, Creighton's opening opponent, Utah, pulled out of the Sioux Falls, South Dakota NTE. So they had to slide in South Dakota State in its place. Bottom line, it's 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 still kind of a mess. And again, we are under three weeks away from the start of the season, and some teams still don't have their schedule completely set. And listen, I get it. This is really, really hard. Trying to schedule and play college basketball during a pandemic is challenging on a variety of levels. So I'm, I, am, I am sensitive to that, and I'm not naive to the issues and challenges in front of college basketball. But college basketball had all this time to figure things out and come up with a plan. And somehow... They found themselves against the clock with all this. It's like you ever taken a class where it's like, all right, there'll be no, the, all you have is a final paper at the end of the semester. And you're like, end of the semester, man, I'm about to chill for a couple months. And then all of a sudden you like, oh boy, all of a sudden you got like two days and you haven't even started on that paper. You're like, oh God, We're, that's what it feels like. College basketball is like, man, we got, psh, basketball, we got, we got a long time before we got to come with that, with a, with a concrete plan. Because all of a sudden they find themselves against the clock with all this. The biggest thing college basketball had going for itself was time. It was going to be the last of all the major sports to give it a go, right? College basketball got to sit back and watch and observe what works and what doesn't with the NBA and the NHL and Major League Baseball and WNBA and, and the NFL and, and college football. And I felt like because of that, I had a great deal of confidence in college basketball a few months ago. It's like, man, they're just going to sit and watch what all this stuff, what works, what doesn't. But somewhere along the way, the bubble idea for college basketball lost steam, fell, fell to the wayside. 
and desires to play a pseudo-normal, put normal in air quotes here, normal non-conference schedule and play in these MTEs superseded common sense and playing either conference only or at the very least proximity-based schedules. And I just, I don't get it. I don't know where this, this confidence came from that college basketball could just try to schedule and play this season in a somewhat normal fashion. And, and again, full disclosure, I don't know a damn thing about non-conference contracts and the, and the budgets for all these athletic departments and basketball programs. I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to, in my opinion, is from the standpoint of, okay, what gives college basketball the best chance to get games in and get games played safely? Which to me should have been the starting point for all the plans. And in my opinion, the answer to that question, all roads lead back to a bubble of some kind. It may not be ideal. It may be a logistical headache. It may be a super expensive endeavor. And it may not be great optics bubbling up amateur college basketball players. But real quick with that, the whole bad optics thing with the college basketball bubble never really made sense to me. First of all, the players would love it. It's not like you're like dragging them into this bubble. The players would love it because it assures them games. You know what Marcus Segarowski and Delano Banton and 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 Christian Bishop and Luca Garza and Io Dosuma, you know what they are praying for right now is that they can play every game on their schedule. So the players would love it because it assures them games. And... A bubble is the safest place you can be during a pandemic. So that whole the whole bad optics thing, I, I kind of never totally made sense. But again, the, the question simply becomes, do you want to make sure you get games in safely? And in my opinion, whether you like it or not, the answer is a bubble. Some, or, or, or some kind of bubble, or at the very least, conference only. I checked, you can go back and listen to and check my podcast back on September 2nd. So a little over two months ago, my idea two months ago for college basketball structure was during the the golden window, that's what people have called it in the college basketball world, which is mid-November to mid-January, which is winter break for, for school in college. During that, during that time, do a conference-only bubble. I mean, these players, they got two months of no classes, no school, pick a location, bring all your teams in your conference to that location, bubble them up, and play as many games as possible during that stretch. Maybe you get in 13, 14, 15, 16 games during that stretch. Then when you get to mid-January and second semester starting up, you kind of you, you, you take a step back and you reassess everything at that point. Maybe the virus situation looks different. Maybe a vaccine hits. Maybe it's worse. Maybe it's better. Who knows? You just stop and you kind of reassess things. Maybe you call it good with conference games. Maybe you try another mini bubble. Maybe you play one non-conference game a week that is proximity-based. So Creighton would play Nebraska and UNO and maybe South Dakota and, you know, Play one non-conference game a week if you want to until March, then bubble up the NCAA tournament. That's how I'd, I would have handled this initial golden window, conference bubbles. Bottom line, conference games are the most important games to, to get played on the schedule. 
and it's it's easier to do things together as a conference. You got similar budgets. You're going to have uniform testing protocols. You're going to have obviously this a, a, a TV contract across the entire conference, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it just makes things easier in that regard. But the big thing goes back to the question of what gives you the best chance to for sure get games played, get them played safely, and avoid a bunch of cancellations and stoppages? To me, it's a bubble of some kind. Because if the NCAA guideline remains in place that you have to pause all basketball team activities for two weeks if you get one positive test, good luck getting Good luck this season, everybody. Good luck getting games in. Good luck. The two-week shutdown thing is something a lot of coaches are fighting to change, which I, I tend to agree with. But I think the reality is everyone should be fighting for a bubble of some kind. If, if your mission is what gives college basketball the best chance to get games in and get them played safely. So we'll we'll see what what ends up happening here. I'm really excited for college basketball, but I'm also really nervous for college basketball. I mean, as, as we've seen here with football, even with consistent rapid testing, we've seen in football that players testing positive is just almost unavoidable. And, and the thing with foot, football kind of had no choice to do what they are doing from a structure and plan standpoint because you can't, you can't bubble 14 football teams, you know? But you can bubble 10 or 11 or 12 basketball teams. Again, I don't envy the decision makers in this spot. The ADs, the university presidents, the conference commissioners, it's a really, really tough puzzle to solve. Finding the right way to handle the structure of college basketball. I get it. It's tough. And I can't speak to budgets and all those things. But I just know what has been problematic with COVID and sports and what has worked with COVID and sports. Clearly, exhausting all options to do a bubble of some kind was something that, in my opinion, should have been high on everybody's list. And for whatever reason, the whole bubble thing just lost steam over the last few months. It kind of was a hot topic at the end of the summer, and then it just just lost steam. I'm rooting like hell for college basketball. I'm excited as hell for college basketball. I just hope we don't have the season from hell with college basketball. Time was on college basketball's side, but time is running out. And with the way college basketball is structuring things, will it work? Only time will tell. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.